Welcome to the We Should Record This podcast, conversations around deconstructing, rebuilding, and finding home in our faith and life together. We're glad you've joined us. It's our third episode already. Are we having fun? I sure hope so. Today we're going to be talking about our favorite F word. That's right, fear. We hope you enjoy it, like it, and share it with your friends. Today, we want to um, dive down the rabbit hole of beyond a fear-based faith. Um, and it's kind of an odd topic if I think about it, because I, I don't think you would find a single person on the planet who would say, yes, I have a fear-based faith. So it's a little bit of a, 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 an interesting thought. to. And yet you would, because didn't you just recently have a moment online with someone who was talking about wanting an angry God. Yes. Well, and that, that's true. That's true. And, but, but I think if you're like, well, do you have a fear-based faith? It would be, no, I, I don't. Um, but, but when you start challenging ideas, right. yeah, there was, yeah. So it was, I just had, was reading through an online exchange and it was in a, a context where somebody made some statement in part and the loving christian online response was repent ye sinners for ye might burn in hell for what you've just said and and then you know back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and uh you know people saying things in part and responding in part and and then somebody said well i would rather have uh uh, an ang- a angry and scary God than one who is unjust and unholy. And I just thought, like a God that is angry and scary, like we are angry and scary, is like, get a new God. That's not, like, that is not, that is not the God revealed in Christ. And I'm I was not- reading some of that and I'm like, is there an option C in this yeah. category? <laughs> exactly. I just, I was like, if that is if that is your choice, gosh, I don't know why everybody's leaving the church. Like it's 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 just. I actually think you know if we're gonna go down that rabbit trail, that that whole. Why are we going down rabbit trails? Some expressions need to be questions. That's one of them. But anyways, why are we? If we're gonna go down that path of of angry God and that God's anger. And justice is how he proves he's God. I'm not saying that God doesn't, that there isn't an experience that feels like God's angry or, or that God isn't just. But I just think that God is so much better than what we're applying. We're projecting our human tendencies towards anger and the way that we see justice and fairness. And I'm pretty sure that we have misrepresented God pretty severely on that. And I don't think the choice is I want God to be angry and scary so that he can be just and holy. I think wholesale, that's a complete misrepresentation. And, and that when that becomes our smackdown conversation, shut down answer, it's time to find a new God. Like it's time to go, wait a second. It's like saying, I'd rather have my dad beat me so that he could take me to Disneyland sometimes. It's like, ah, there is another option available. There is. 
we don't, those don't go together. So, um, I mean, that's a whole can of worms, but, and we well, need- and that's the podcast in a nutshell. So thanks for joining us this yeah, time. Thanks. Karina yeah, just wrapped it all up. Yeah. All right. Now send us home, Nicole, take it away. <laughs> well, this is, I, we were coming into this recording. And I was a little bit jacked up already. Like yeah. we were starting to talk and she's like, let me just hit record. Cause this is one of my biggest pet peeves. As a born and raised church girl, my first Sunday on earth was spent in a church pew. Right. Well, not a pew, on a folding chair in a church gym because we were just starting out. Right. Like, I put hymnals on chairs before I could even carry more than three. Like, I was like, I was in the church. Right, right. What bothers me the most about church folks is the compulsion to use fear to control people into believing the way that you do. Right. And I would not say that I had a fear-based faith either until I started, I took a step back and go, why do I believe this? And yeah. these things that I'm saying that I've always said, because I was always taught that this is the way, is it really even true? Yeah. And yeah. so throughout my life, bits and pieces, fits and starts, diving into some of these scary truths of God and realizing those aren't really truths of God. Those are tools of religion. And what gets to me is that way back at the beginning of the Christian church, there was a big block of time where the common person didn't read. Right. And the only way they got the gospel was through word of mouth of preachers and teachers, which worked pretty well at the beginning when everyone was still young and giddy and <laughs> little Jesus drunk on the whole experience. But you move two, three, four, a thousand years down the line, and you now have religion used as a way to control people. And the filtering of the gospel became a tool of oppression. Right. And so people didn't know that the things that they believed were in the Bible, actually weren't in the Bible, but they were manipulations of, of those in leadership. Right. And then we go through the Reformation, people start getting to read, there's an opportunity to access the Bible, and that is, everyone's all giddy and happy and all into that, until right. now we're back into a lazy faith where a lot of people don't read it again, and we're back to people just taking what one pastor preaches but that pastor heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else who heard it from someone else. And nobody's done the heavy lifting of going, is this actually what God meant? Not right. what the Bible says, but is it what God meant? Right. And are we putting the same emphasis on having a thriving, nurturing relationship with Holy spirit to speak in and through us mm -hmm. as we are on memorizing scripture, because there's a heck of a lot of things that are biblical that are not Christ-like. And we don't, like now I'm getting, I'm all like, Rah. take it away, but, take it away, come on. But these are the things that tether us to fear and stop us from growing in our faith and in our trust with God and with our community with one another in Christ, because we're not in Christ, we're in the Bible, which is not the same thing. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for scripture and there shouldn't be a respect and a um, connection with the Bible, right? But that is the Bible's not part of the Trinity. Holy right. Spirit is, and it's not God the Father, God the Son, and the Word of God. It is 
the word made flesh and experienced through Holy Spirit. Right. Well, that, that is something to think about, isn't it? I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I think what happens is, you know, and we, we were talking last week about having a, a brave space and these are the, the tensions that we're finding ourselves in is that, is that a lot of times that tension, we need to create a brave space within ourselves because <laughs> that tension starts with what, what always felt true right? And what always felt right. And, and I want to be generous enough to say that I want to believe that people, that traditions are there not because people want to be awful and people want to be tyrants, right? But I think sometimes it's that taking that step back and going, we keep telling people, you know, this thing about God and, and we can make it work. Like we can, we can, but I think we can make it work is a really poor way of reading the Bible. Um, I think we just, we, we can, we can take those traditions that we were handed. We can be thankful for them we, but we can also step back and, and spend time with God in it going. And, and for people that have done the heavy lifting, like sometimes, sometimes there are people outside of our faith traditions that have something to teach us. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are interpretations that are better, more life-giving, that look more like Christ. And, and you know, if, if we spend all our time going, yeah, but Jesus got angry, you're like, you know, he was angry at a religious system. I don't recall one gospel recording that he uh, whipped a single person. I, and how many times is it recorded that it was hang- he was angry versus the number of times he showed compassion and right. he sat with people and he entered conversation? Right. Like we laser focus on the thing that we looks- want justification for. Yeah. And, and I think we just need to be careful. We need to go, is that... Does that bring life or does it bring fear? Does it like it might it might get everybody to behave? Sure. That but is that is is behaving our highest goal? Is being good versus being, I don't know, real, authentic? Is that maybe a, a better a better place that we could land? I don't know. Um I well, no, I think I do know. I, I think that I think that it's worth questioning. And I think that when we have beliefs that have God look like a really angry person, we might question if that is just really projection over faithful biblical interpretation. Um, so what is the security we find in an angry God? Well, he's. I think he's just like us. Like, I think that it, it is, it is, um, I think it's, it's the, it's like, I get angry. I, I lose control. I do that way better if I could go, well, maybe it's holy anger and righteous anger, right? <laughs> and not just, uh, you have a little bit of inner work to do to become more Christ-like, actually. Um, I, I think 
we've done a really great job of, you know, literalizing metaphors and then taking literal things and turning them into metaphors in the Bible, because it makes God way more understandable. If God's actually angry and like love, that's more like me. (laughs) So I can understand that way better. I can wrap my head around that. But what if, what if God's love feels like anger in the same way that a parent's love for their two-year-old, the two-year-old experiences the anger of the parent when they get taken for a nap, right? Like, I mean, this, but, but it's, the parent loves that child, but the parent actually isn't angry at the child, right? But the kid feels like, mom, you're so angry at me. You're forcing me to go to bed. And um, I mean, I, the, all metaphors live as that, discipline that are not meant for discipline, but meant for good. Right. And, and I think we just go, well, every time, like the way that I use anger in my parenting, which it's not the goal guys. I'm not, I'm just saying I like, sometimes I'm angry and I don't think I'm being very godlike when I'm angry. I think sometimes when we have to, you know, like they're just, there's no punishment in love. And that's Bible guys like that, that is, and, and that when we're afraid of punishment, we've missed out. We've misinterpreted, like there, there just, there is no fear in love. And it's also, it's, it's, there's no fear of punishment in love. And yet well, it's not, maybe the word isn't punishment, but correction or redirection Like it's not, I think that in my faith journey, in my understanding, it it was that shift of going, oh, I'm being punished for something rather than I'm being protected from something else. Right. And I think that um, growing up in the church that I did, I believe that the people who were teaching me and teaching the congregation were there because they loved us and, and the things that they were saying yep. and, and relaying about God was out of a love and concern for our eternal souls. But what they were missing is that filter of love that the old Testament hellfire and brimstone God doesn't fit for a new covenant connection. And I think that there's been a lot of points and moments along my journey where I've seen a little bit more of God through the filter of Jesus. Mm. And there's been a few things, even since um, engaging in these deeper conversations with you, where, you know, you've put me on different resources or, or different questions. And I think one of the things that um, we talked quite a bit about a while ago was um, a book by Brad Jerzak, more Christ like God. Right. And understanding that though separate, they're still connected and that right. God isn't the big scary boogeyman prison warden and Jesus right. is sunshine, sunshine and flowers, but there is a place where they meet. That is the truth of who God is. Right. And, and I, in that book, I, that book has been really um, 
pivotal for me in, in that it's like, you know, you kind of come to the table with a loaded gun and, and it, that God is like this and God's waiting to use it. (laughs) And, and it's been such a helpful posture to take that God is like Jesus and any understanding that we have of God, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, that, that we can't find in Jesus, it doesn't mean that the Bible's not true. It means our interpretation needs to be questioned. I, you know, so I think um, if we can allow ourselves permission to question how we've interpreted the Bible, then I think we find God. And I think we find him to be good. And we find him to be like Jesus, holy and completely. Like Jesus is the God man, you know? But even if we back this train up a little bit, you Mm. said permission to ask questions. Right. Don't you feel that there is so much fear that even asking questions seems an insurmountable task sometimes? So how did... How do you approach that? Like on your personal journey, right. when you were starting this excavation and renovation of your faith, what were some of the things that made you brave enough to actually form those questions? I think it was dismantling the idea of being that that being right and good was the highest thing we could hope for and I just I guess I could be neither of those so it was like there was a, a desire to what is real and what is true um and the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of authenticity and just sort of you know when when you feel like uh, a desire to build the church, but then you keep running into the fact that you don't fit the form of right and good. Um, and, and I think a lot of, there's, there's a lot of questioning of the structures that we have right now because they've been built on models of right and good. Like we, we have trained ourselves to see pastors for example, as like there's somehow Jesus with skin on and that's not helpful because then we have people that can't be real because they have to always be good and they can't be human and they can't struggle and they can't, they have to always know the answers. And, and I still, like, I'm not saying like, let's have our pastors well studied, well versed. I'm not, I, I, Oh gosh, like, like I'm not, I'm not saying knowing things is not helpful, but when we've elevated them, it's kind of like we're still in that same mode of, that we tried so hard to leave in the Reformation of the all powerful figurehead who knows everything that's God's representative. And I think I just discovered that there wasn't life there for me. And and I wanted to build something that was life-giving where people could be 
human and where people could make mistakes and learn from them and grow from them and not be removed from our sight and influence. Um, so then we have all these people trying to look right and perfect. And it just, it just like, I just guess I was just no good at it. And so I, um, I started going like, what is, is that what Jesus meant for us? Is that, what his highest hope for us was that we would look good and be right. I think when you follow truth and authenticity, you find a lot of things that are good and right in there, but when good and right becomes a goal, you miss out. When of course, when you start asking these questions, everyone embraced your curiosity with open arms and yes, celebrated. I appreciate your questions. I'm glad you brought that up because I've wondered that same thing myself. No, that it was, it was, there, there was, I think there was a time where there was like, oh, you have questions. Isn't that cute? Like pat you on the head, you know? And then when, when you sort of were like, but actually though, I think the responses tended to be like, well, I don't know what your problem is. This, this is established. Come on now. Like, you know, you just, or, or when you would say, I know we keep saying that, you know, uh, men and women are equal before God and that, and that they, they can have any role, but why do we never have any women filling any leadership roles? Why when we have a woman that's in charge of something, do we still need a man to come up and like give them the, the introduction to the church? Like if we're like, why, if we're equal, does it work out like that? And it's like that, that was a bridge too far, apparently. So uh, questions like that, where you're like, okay, we say these things, but it doesn't look like we actually believe those things because they don't look like that. And that, I think, was a lot of my, my journey there, desiring authenticity, not perfection, but just if we say we believe this thing, then it should probably look like we believe that, right? So, um, and I, that's probably an oversimplification of, of a story, but if I was going to try and that was how the questions kind of came up, it was on my own desire to find a faith that was authentic and true. I think what stops us from asking questions is our desire to fit in right. and to be part of. And so when you start asking those questions that are already cooking up on the inside of you and, 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 causing you internal discomfort yeah of course when you verbalize them they're going to cause external discomfort too right and so i think that for a lot of people that fear of being out of sync yes yeah. from asking questions which then stunts their growth because a question is the beginning of a possibility right if you're not willing to take that step into the possibility, then you're, there's no space to grow anymore. Right. And it's super scary because a church is about belonging and it's about community and connection. And we all come together and we all are doing this and we all, we all, we all. And when you start going, but, um, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. That isn't embraced by the all it more often than not is kind of cut off and isolated. 
I think that's what we're, we're wanting to call people to is something different. Like questions expose what kind of culture you've built. And if questions have no place, then I would say it's worth looking at that. You've built a, you've built a culture of fitting in, not of belonging. Right. You know, uh, Brene Brown, the, the patron saint of vulnerability would tell us that if I have to, if, if I am like you, something to the effect of if I have to be like you so that I fit in, it's not the same as I get to be myself and I belong. That is such a screwing up of her lovely turn of phrase that she has around that. But it's essentially, I think that questions, vulnerability, authenticity, those things expose the culture you've built. And if your culture has no room for questions, and it has no room for anything except that which looks perfect on the outside, it reveals what's on the inside. And if people can no longer belong because they're asking a question that's going on in them and, and we're bothered by their question because it exposes something, I think it exposes what we've built. And I think that the church should be about belonging. But when we've made the church about an agreement to these right principles and doctrines, rather than a community of people who are journeying together, right? I wonder, uh, I, I think that what we end up with is as soon as we question one of those things, you can't belong anymore. So that's actually a culture of fitting and not a culture of belonging. When we make our thing about hey, we're, we're going to be like Jesus-centric here, but we recognize that we're growing. And in order to grow, sometimes things got to go a little out of bounds so they can be, so we can discover if it's actually out of bounds or if it's just tradition um, or what, whatever that might be. So I think that what is being exposed right now in the broader church context is that we've actually created cultures of fitting in, not of belonging. And this is where I feel like, maybe this topic more than anything else we're talking about is really vital for leaders Mm. to dive into and not just like pastors, but if you have influence and um, connection in a faith community, it's incumbent on you to be the brave one to say, it's okay that these questions are being asked and I may not land on the same conclusion that you are, but I'm not afraid to walk with you through this. And that's what I feel has happened to so many people Mm -hmm. and particularly so many women who start to question patriarchy and systems that they are labeled crap disturbers and shoved off to the side to the point that, well, now we just want them gone. Yeah. Because what they're saying and asking and challenging is making me feel uncomfortable and I want to feel comfortable at church. So Mm -hmm. farewell. Mm -hmm. And I wish you were out of my face. Not even I wish you well. I just wish you gone. Yeah. (laughs) I think that to a certain extent, um, both you and I have experienced that in a variety of situations and have come to really appreciate those that we have come into connection with who've said, yeah, you're asking a whole lot and there's a whole lot to you and I'm not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And so you do your thing 
and I'm going to give you the space to do it. Yeah. But not distance myself from you in it. Right. And I think that that's where we learn not to allow fear to affect our one body in Christ mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Like it is super hard. And I, I get it from a pastoral point of view because I have been part of a pastoral staff. And I also get it from just a, I don't want your stuff to get on me point of view because that's freaky too, Mm -hmm. but it's vital. And I think that, that, you know, at the beginning I came in really hot with this fear thing and that because it matters and it matters that as church leadership, we move beyond fitting in and beyond a lemming type of experience at our church. Right. I feel like there's some churches that you attend and you magically become hipster or you magically, you know, magically become, you know, double income, two kids, perfect picket fence. Right. Because you have to, in order to find community there. And I'm going to be real, real here. We have not been in a church community for like five years. We've Mm -hmm. attended churches. Mm-hmm. but we've not been part of the community because we are unable to morph any longer. Our morphing capabilities are on the fritz. We just have to be who we are. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable for us and for those people around us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going in trying to create a revolution. We joke about, you know, we didn't start the fire. We're not trying to burn anything down here. What we're trying to do is, <laughs> I don't know why this came up, but loosen the corset. Let's just leave some room to breathe, you know? <laughs> Let us take up a little bit more space so we can fill our lungs. And that's, yeah. you know, I feel like we're all so tightly contained in a traditional church mode far too often. And the fear of a deep breath keeps us from breathing at all. Hmm. And to just be brave here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we talked lots last time about what that looks like, the brave spaces. And now as we move into this conversation of moving beyond our fear in faith, what has been one of your biggest gifts of taking that leap beyond fear to start asking these questions and not even finding space for them, but creating, because you've done a really good job in your home and with your people of creating a space to even have these conversations. Right. Um, I, I think there, there is something valuable. I, it would be weird. And I want to say wrong to like try and seek negative and hurtful experiences, right? That, that's weird. We don't, we're not <laughs> proponents of that. But there is something good about experiencing exclusion and experiencing uh, kind of, there, there is a humbling and a reckoning that happens when you thought you were one of the inside team and suddenly you're not. And suddenly your eyes are opened to a world that your privilege didn't even like you're, you're, you're fitting in. I don't want to, I feel like if I use the word privilege, I'll lose people. Um, your fitting in didn't even allow you to see 
that right. was that was real, not like uh, an experience that I can I can like come in and swoop in and be awesome too. And I'm not. That's a that's a semi loaded comment. Um, I want to be kinder with that. When you're a part of the top group, the group of influence, the group of fitting in, the group that you know is the popular one and and or whatever and then all of a sudden you're on the outs i think you you come to a choice and you can and and for me it probably involved going back and forth of like trying to make my way back there of going look i'll try harder i'll be good enough i'll do the things you want and yet i can't deny these questions in me and so then you know you're kind of back and forth but it opens the gift of wounding is that it opens your eyes to the suffering of other people. And I think it's hard to create a brave space if you've said no to suffering. And like, I think we do have a choice. I think that, that our, our Western culture would tell us that we're really good at refusing delivery on pain and suffering. And yet I think that the way of Jesus is one that calls us to open our eyes to suffer, to suffer with, that that is, that, that, that that is one of the ways that we bring life to one another is by sitting in those difficult places. And it kind of takes being in a difficult place to all of a sudden recognize the need and the value for that sometimes, or, me, or maybe that was just me. I know I really needed that. I think that's, it's true for most people that there needs to be a shared experience to increase compassion. And I think that you touched on something really important that there are certain denominational contexts where suffering is viewed as a sign of lack of faith mm -hmm. and a lack of prosperity in your soul and mm. in your pocketbook or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and it's the fear of suffering and the fear of looking like you don't have enough faith or you don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we see that, saw that play out a bit. Um, my dad and I were diagnosed with cancer within three months of each other. And the church that my parents and the one I was raised in was very prosperity focused and healing focused and God is good all the time, which are not bad things. Right. Right. And I think that's but really important. When that, it's yeah. one of those things that when that becomes the end goal, we miss the plot completely. Yeah. And so that church community full of good people, faithful, loving, connected people. And I don't want this to become a church bashing thing, but it's indicative of a certain type of church community that has opted out of addressing suffering in a meaningful way mm -hmm. when their congregation members do experience suffering or or troubles they feel like maybe god isn't with them or that they've done something mm -hmm. that has separated themselves from god or they don't know how to sit in the mystery of god's ways being different when the outcome isn't what we hope for and what we prayed for and what we stood on the word for Right. How do we then have faith because we had it and it failed 
or God didn't come through like, you know, the ATM type transaction that we're used to that we push right. these buttons. So yes. we should have got this result. I think we a lot of us all the buttons and it didn't happen. So yeah. which one of us is wrong? Yeah. And that creates a great amount of anxiety and fear in people. Yeah. Because my dad didn't get well. Right. Not on this side of heaven. Right. And it was a hard thing for some of his friends and that church community that experience. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that there's a really beautiful movement happening right now that is calling us out of that transactional faith and into something more experiential. And I, and I say those words and all of a sudden I feel those old fears of like, we're supposed to doubt. We can't just have an experience based faith. We can't just whatever. Right. And yet that's, I just, that's where things get real is when you experience God, it, it you know, and, and that's where things get real with people. Like, I could have seen your name on a list for the She Loves Retreat a hundred times, but you weren't real until I experienced you and we began to be friends and to have memories and moments and experiences together. And boy, are we ever on a trail of goodness here. Like we're, but, but I think these are, these are the rewards of brave spaces. These are the rewards of, co-suffering these are the rewards of being knocked down a few pins in the uh in the church hierarchies and going there's got to be a better way and it is the experiences that remove fear too yes that you know when i began this journey i was afraid of being outside of the church context I always knew. I was afraid of being ostracized or without friends or not part of the circle, not yeah. part of all the things I was. And it, it, there was a lot of fear connected with that for a while. Yeah. But the more I experienced the other side, like you're talking about, right? When you have, whether it's a context of suffering or disconnect from from the privilege or the elite or the leadership or however you want to frame it, that makes Mm. it not sound so snooty and judgmental. Right. When you're experiencing a perspective other than what you've always lived, you recognize that it's actually not that scary and there's actually more freedom and there's more space to grow and there's more space to know God in a fullness that your previous context couldn't contain. And not that that was wrong. It's right. just we're meant to be on a journey. We're not meant to stay where we've always been. We right. are meant to be not nomadic, but purposefully moving right onto a deeper understanding and knowing and connection with God. Yeah. I think that is really good and really true. I think that, that we can there's so many that have had experiences where they've wanted this system to bring life for them, but it, it sort of is like the system I don't think can contain life for as many as we had hoped when it's a system based on agreement of 
beliefs and ways, you know, and, and I just think the Jesus way is way more inclusive. It's way more invitational. And I think it, it needs to result in us becoming a community and a body, but in a different way than it, it's got to be beyond. It needs leadership, but it needs leadership that's authentic and true, not right and good. Right. Um, and I think we need to create spaces where, I mean, I'm just thinking of the, you know, and, and the cool thing is you, you find that these spaces are actually being created, maybe not in your context, maybe that's that, but, but it's like, I feel like there's a groundswell there. And I really do believe we are on the verge of something that we could not, we can't even imagine. Like, I don't know if it's going to be 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we're going to go, wow, we did not see this coming but i just i can feel it because there's so like like that's the thing you 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 get dethroned i mean i was never in a position but do you know what i mean like wherever yeah. you were you get dethroned you get knocked down your eyes are opened to experiences the first thing you do is think that you're experiencing a singular experience i am the only one that has ever experienced this right like but then all of a sudden if you will let that wounding open your heart, you will discover that it's not a singular experience. And then that actually gives you a really, you know, if, if you're people that, that want to pursue wholeness and authenticity and, and truth and all those different things, you're going to find people that are on that journey too, not just people that want to hate the thing that dethroned them, but that it'll reveal the builder in you. The, some, the, the thing that wants to build something that's a brave space, build something where when fear comes up, we acknowledge it and go, oh, I feel fear over that. Like, can you imagine the freedom that would happen if, if in, from, from the front we could, we could be like, yeah, there are things that really scare me. And I recognize that if I'm coming in fear or if I'm afraid of being deceived, if I'm afraid of whatever, it's already happened. So I need to deal with that fear so that I can really experience God and the truth of God in this. What a, that would loosen the corsets for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that um, it's also understanding that the, Reform the Reformation was an event that happened. It's meant to be a continual process that is happening in each one of us. Right. That we are, that we never get so settled that there's a place for fear to grow because we are constantly looking for the next step and the next right thing God is leading us to. And whether it's a physical place or it's an emotional space or it's a spiritual space, yeah, we are meant to be constantly growing. I mean, a pregnant woman is made to be pregnant right. for a set period of time. Right. That baby has everything it needs while it's in that womb yeah. for a set period of time. I felt like I was pregnant with Gavin for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was 10 months. Ah. But even at that, it just, it felt like forever. But there came a point where it was no longer healthy for him to stay in there. Because I think he would have stayed forever had he not been <laughs> out of the warmth. Right. Because it wasn't healthy for him any longer to stay contained. He needed more space to grow. And I think that's why you see in the Bible analogies about birth yeah. and growth 
and life being sustained that way because we are meant to be in a place that is nurturing and comfortable and healing for us for only so long. And then we need to push past that bit next barrier right. into the next place that we're meant to be. And all of these barriers, they're not brick walls that we're supposed to like Kool-Aid man through. They're actually more like a fog we're meant to move through and it moves out of our way as we keep moving forward. Mm. But our fear makes it a much more hard and difficult barrier than it needs to be. And so I think as we're talking through this, my hope for people who are on this journey with us is that you're brave enough to name your fear. Yeah. Because once you name it, it shrinks a bit. And once you name it, then you can move towards it and through it. Mm-hmm. Because on the other side of all of these fears are these opportunities for growth and connection and community and a fuller understanding of Christ in you and the full depth of God's nature and the comfort of Holy Spirit moving through all of this with you. That's all there mm-hmm. when we are brave enough to move past the next fear. Yeah. I think that those are all really, I think that that's, that's really good. And I think, I think we'll do well if we can do that. And um, in closing, I just have this idea here that, that maybe um, for those that are listening, you know, you, you might be hearing this story and resonating with, with parts of it or, or maybe not, but, but I bet there have been moments in our faith journey where we've felt afraid or or we felt that tension of this isn't okay or I like I you know I can't go here or whatever and so I just want to um I don't know I guess it's sort of it's sort of a prayer that I would like to lead us in or maybe uh an experience that we might have so I would just invite everybody to breathe deeply into your heart space So I'm inviting you to use your imagination, which is actually this wonderful bridge that that God has given us to communicate using abstract ideas in our mind's eye. So first of all, let's not be afraid of our imaginations. Imagination doesn't equal fake. It it is different. So we're going to use that faculty and we're going to just imagine breathing into your heart space and letting the light of God kind of fill that space and illuminate in your heart what's, what's true and what's real. And then I would just invite you to invite Jesus into that space with you. And maybe together you could experience walking into that heart space and and finding something on a shelf that's labeled fear. And I would invite you to just, either Jesus can take it or you can take it. And, and maybe you and Jesus could just sit together with that for a little while. And And then there might come a time where Jesus will want to tell you something about that fear. Maybe he'll, maybe he wants to 
exchange it for something that's more shaped like love. But that can come later. I would just encourage you to come and together, can you name that fear? In the presence of love, can you name that fear? And if you're willing, can you exchange that fear for something or just become aware of it so that you don't go grabbing it on the shelf when, when the tension comes? And I think that Jesus would want to let you know that your fears don't scare him. And that no matter how big that fear box feels to you or however many things are in that, that there's nothing so big, so awful, so scary that he will run away from it. That your fear is secure with him and that you're welcome to give it to him at any time and that he's patient and good and kind And he's happy to take that burden of your fear when you're ready. So I invite you to breathe once more into your heart space, knowing that Jesus is there with you, with your fear, and that this is part of the journey. And it can be good. And there can be life and there can be exchange and goodness. Amen. Thank you so much, Karina. That was a beautiful way to end off this um, episode. And I just, I wanna encourage you if that, um, when you feel the fear I would encourage you to do this practice that Karina just led us through. Um, anytime you need to be reminded that you're not in this on your own, alone. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Thanks for listening. To continue the conversation and help grow the We Should Record This community, head over to our website at www.weshouldrecordthis.com where you can share and subscribe to the podcast or sign up for our newsletter. There we're going to share resources, articles, and ideas that will help you to keep these conversations going. You can also find us at We Should Record This on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.